A Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, Episode 51. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, psychologist and adaptability coach to entrepreneurs and business leaders. I believe that working on your business is more important than working in your business. If you want to achieve your business goals and dreams without the cost and pain of having to make every mistake yourself, then The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is the podcast for you. I'm here to help you learn from the lessons of entrepreneurs and business leaders to help you work on yourself and your business so that you can save time, energy, and grow faster. For those of you new to the show, The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai presents three new episodes each week. On Insight Sunday, we dive into the minds of business leaders through insightful guest interviews. On Story Tuesday, we dig deeper with them and learn firsthand from their stories, hard-earned lessons, and experience. On Thrive Thursday, it's just you and me on the couch, where you'll hear scientific research, my thoughts, and tangible tactics to adapt and grow yourself and your business. Grab a proverbial seat and listen up so you can learn from the minds and mistakes of business leaders and apply their wisdom to your life and business. Welcome to Thrive Thursday with Dr. Yishai. This week on The Business Couch with me, I had Wilson Casado, co-founder and managing partner of the Australian operations of the international management consulting firm Visagio. Wilson is a passionate leader extraordinaire who revels in creating transformation in entrepreneurs, businesses, and systems reaching so many sectors and countries. On episode 49, Wilson shared his own story and how his journey uncovered his passions and allowed him to embark on his entrepreneurial and leadership journey with Visagio. In episode 50, our conversation continued with Wilson sharing his leadership style, values, and their importance in working through the tough times. Wilson and I share ideas and analogies that form the core of how he leads collectively rather than hierarchically, and the best practices in building strong, high-performing, deeply invested and committed teams. If you haven't yet, check out episodes 49 and 50 and share them with someone who would enjoy and benefit from Wilson's experience, wisdom, and expertise. Today, I'm wrapping up my three-part series on adaptation principles with a deep dive into how and why our brains predict and anticipate. I talk research, neuroscience, and practical examples and tactics so that you can learn and harness how your adaptive brain works. Before we dive in, I wanted to share that the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching and Consulting. If you lead a six or seven plus figure business and experience a drag or dip in your growth, if you notice diminishing engagement or passion in your business, if you want to eliminate exhaustion and burnout in yourself or your teams, if you sense that you or your company would grow faster and stronger if you could just pivot efficiently and effectively when circumstances change like they had so much in 2020, then you've got an adaptability problem. 
Adaptability coaching and consulting will give you and your business the psychology and neuroscience-backed tools to understand and leverage core adaptability skills through the unique 3D adaptation framework. You can learn to harness and leverage core adaptability skills to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. You can learn to turn tough circumstances, reactions, and exhaustion into energy, excitement, and excellence for you and your company. To learn more, go to dryishai.com slash coaching or dryishai.com slash consulting. Now, without further ado, let's dive into Adaptation Principles Part 3, Prediction. You're walking down a street listening to your favorite music or perhaps a podcast not unlike this one. You reach an intersection and see the light is green. You've even got the walk signal indicating that you've got the right of way. So you step into the street, intent on making your way to the office, the supermarket, or perhaps the coffee shop on the opposite corner. Suddenly, there's a screech, a blaring horn, and you jump so violently that you drop your phone. The driver starts yelling. And whether you say it out loud or not, you've got a few choice words for the driver and the situation. Before you know it, though, you're on your way again. What happens when you reach the next signal? Do you check the light and just plow into the crosswalk again? Do you turn your head left and right, looking for perhaps another crazy driver? Most of us will check the next time, and perhaps a few more times at least. Whether or not that moment really leaves a lasting impression for the weeks and months and years to come. According to Ray Kurzweil, author of How to Create a Mind, our thinking and processing brain, also often called the cortex or the neocortex, is basically designed as a series of pattern identifiers. They're all wired together in a way that allows us to recognize patterns in shapes and sounds so that we can create and understand meaning in language and literature, among other things. In fact, our brains are so deeply wired to identify patterns that whenever we encounter a sound, an image, or a word, our brains are already trying to anticipate what may be happening even before we have full information. Here's an example he gives. If I were to start spelling out a five-letter word by giving you the letters A, P, P, L... Before I even finish, you're probably already thinking of what letter comes next to complete the word. Chances are, you were already doing that from the first letter or two. And the more information that you have, the more your brain prepares for and strongly anticipates what it expects is coming, to the point of nearly filling in the rest. But let's pause for a moment and go back to the example. When I spelled out A, P, P, L. What word was in your mind? How confident are you that I was spelling out that word on a scale of 0 to 10? Now, did you think I was spelling apple? In the book, Ray Kurzweil used the word apple. But what if I told you I was actually spelling out the word apply? Whichever you were thinking, your brain was using past experience weighing probabilities, and setting itself up to be as ready as possible for what comes next. This is your thinking, 
processing and planning brain at work. It's anticipating. That anticipation fills in a lot of the blanks for us. Just like you were imagining the word before I completed it. It's doing a great job at it, by the way. Whether you thought I was spelling apple or apply. But there's a difference for most people between anticipating a word and nearly getting run over on the street. In the case of the word I spelled out, you may be curious. When it comes to nearly being run over, there's a whole other level of reactions and responses in our brains. While there's a difference between simple curiosity and danger-induced fear, they both have emotional components to them. Anticipation isn't just a thinking and planning, or a cognitive, we like to call it, matter. It's not just in your cortex. It interacts with your limbic system, which is where the emotion system, memory, and hormone-regulating parts of your brain exist, including the parts of your brain that stimulate the release of adrenaline and cortisol, the fight-or-flight and stress-reaction chemicals. In the book Hardwired Behavior, Lawrence Tancredi talks about the reinforcing effect of repeated losses on how the emotion and memory centers of the brain interact. To explain this, I'm going to share a few quick definitions. You may or may not be familiar with these parts of the brain. First, your amygdala is the part of your brain that identifies and triggers fear, anxiety, and anger reactions that are so well known as the fight or flight response. Second, your hippocampus is the part of your brain that plays a key role in stimulating the production and encoding of memories. At the first experience of loss, the internal feedback of discomfort, pain, and sorrow that you experience triggers your hippocampus to encode that experience and situation in your memories. Experiences that evoke strong emotional reactions are more deeply and strongly encoded than other memories. And these types of memories actually have a special name. They're called emotional memories. The next time you encounter a similar situation, your amygdala, in communication with your hippocampus, recognizes the similarity and stimulates an even stronger reaction in anticipation of loss. This is the increased fear or anxiety that shows up not just in the moment or after loss, but in anticipation of loss. I want to highlight a really important point here. The part of your brain that creates emotions is designed to closely communicate, collaborate, and contextualize by using your memories from the past to interpret and provoke reactions in your present. It does this both for your present experience and anticipates or predicts what may come in the future. Which is why neuroscientists studying emotions intensely, like Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett, who has been studying emotions for 25 years, have recently been thinking and talking about emotions as a set of guesses, simulations, or anticipated futures that bring with them powerful motivations and calls to action. In other words, your entire emotion system is built and designed to connect with your memories, to filter and interpret your present in context of your past experiences and memories. In fact, when it comes to the structure of your brain, the parts of your brain, like your amygdala and 
other parts of your brain that generate and trigger our emotions are really, really close to the point of actually being wrapped around or intertwined with your memory system. Now, in a lot of cases, your brain, your emotion system really does a decent job of this. Like when you go to grab your keys and wallet because you're looking forward to getting out and grabbing your morning coffee. It also pushes you to make a change when it notices something is off. Like when your keys and wallet are not where you usually leave them. So when you go to grab them, all you catch is air. It may show up with some mix of curiosity, anxiety, frustration, or even anger. Each of those reactions, as we've been talking about in the past couple of weeks, provide information about what you expected, what is happening, what you need, the obstacle or challenge in your way and motivates you to adjust your behavior to accomplish or meet your want, need, or goal. Like looking around for your wallet and keys, which may not be your typical morning routine. It goes a level deeper too. If you're frustrated, that may be your emotion system drawing on your previous experience of wasting half an hour and upending your entire home just to try and find your keys. It's predicting that it will take a lot of time again and may get in the way of you being on time for work or getting to everything you plan to do this morning. See how much predicting your emotion system is doing? It's predicting how you need to act to meet your goals, your needs, and motivating you to do that. Kind of like catching a ball. Because in order to catch a ball, you don't need to see where it is at this moment, and then move your body and hands into position. If you do that, you're going to miss catching the ball every time. Instead, you need to predict where the ball will be based on the past experience that you've had playing catch. And you need to move your body and your hands into the right position before it's even there. You need to grasp and clutch before you see or feel the ball touch your hands so that when it does get there, you're trapping it in your palms and fingers. Your emotion system is the system that takes your past data, makes meaningful predictions, motivates and communicates to the planning part of your brain while simultaneously telling the action and movement parts of your brain to be ready and get going. But it takes even more steps than that. When something doesn't go as expected, It's predicting the degree of disruption and further providing you with information, expectations, and motivation. It's trying to help you make tweaks and corrections on the fly so you can adapt and still make the catch. And I'm going to add one further layer to your emotion system. It learns, predicts, and adapts based on how you respond to it. Let's say you've had a long and busy day. You're feeling pretty exhausted and drained. Because your emotion system is responding to and sharing the data that you're running low on resources and energy, it's predicting that if you don't take a break, if you don't recharge, you may be at risk of lower or ineffective functioning. Let's say you've gotten into the habit of pushing through because you've got so much more work to do. A few more calls, working a little bit more on a project, hammering out some important details for a deal. You've also got other responsibilities waiting for you even once you walk out of work. 
So you push yourself harder and get a bunch more done. Well, guess what? Your emotion system looks at that and says to itself, hmm, when I create a feeling of being pretty exhausted and drained, the response is to ignore it. If you continue to have that reaction, if you continue to respond to your exhaustion in that way, or you're feeling drained, what do you think happens the next day? The next week? Next year? Yeah, it grows in magnitude. It's annoyingly persistent and pushes harder next time and even harder the time after that. Your emotion system is designed to take the situation, the results, and process them as feedback to adjust accordingly. We all have patterns in how we and our emotion system respond to life. Many of us have some emotions we experience frequently and others we do not experience very often at all. I call those load-bearing emotions and crumbling foundation emotions. Here's an exercise you can do to help yourself understand and learn more about them. First, ask yourself if there's an emotion you experience often, like every day, multiple times a day. Perhaps there's an emotion that is almost like a constant companion. That's how often you experience it. Next, consider how long you've been this way. For example, if you find yourself constantly stressed, perhaps to the point of overwhelmed with stress, think back and consider how long you've been this way. Exploring a little bit deeper, ask yourself if it's just cyclical, perhaps based on the time of year or season that keeps you so busy. We all have busy and stressful seasons in business and life. But if you notice that you tend to experience a lot of stress and pressure all the time, ask yourself if you take on more during downtimes or put more pressure on yourself to the point of being stressed even in the slowest time of the year. If you do, it may be an indicator that stress is a load-bearing emotion for you. What does that mean? It means that you think and relate to yourself, your work, your relationships, any or every part of your life through the lens of and with that emotion. It means that your thoughts and choices view and relate to the world through that particular emotion. It means that your emotion system expects to experience stress in many parts of your life much of the time. So in anticipation, it puts you in stress mode all the time. By contrast, a crumbling foundation emotion is one that you may rarely experience. Ask yourself the same sort of questions. Is there emotion that you wish you would experience more, but rarely if ever experience? Let's use the example of feeling proud a full-bodied sense of accomplishment that permeates every fiber of you so that you experience a sense of accomplishment, success, and fulfillment. The moments that make you want to run a victory lap with your fists in the air, whooping and celebrating with your body and your voice. If you rarely feel deeply proud, ask yourself if it's because you rarely accomplish what you set out or if perhaps you may dull and deaden yourself in the moment of success and reaching your goal. Do you perhaps immediately move on? 
Do you critique or berate yourself saying that you could or should have done better? In that case, it may be that your thoughts and reactions, even your emotion system, are steering you away from experiencing feeling proud of your accomplishments. What does that mean? It means that your emotion system expects that accomplishments perhaps don't last, or maybe they're limited, or perhaps that you must always push yourself harder, even at the cost of recognizing your greatness, in order to continue to meet your goals and dreams. Both load-bearing and crumbling foundation emotions are born out of the same process. The process of prediction that are such a core part of emotions. Each one involves past experience, a forecasted future, and a set of reactions designed to try and help you meet your wants, needs, goals, or dreams. Or perhaps to protect you sometimes. It can be especially consequential for your business and for leadership because these processes impact how we react and communicate, both in times of abundance and in times of challenge. When someone has stress as their load-bearing emotion and they show up to a celebration dinner for the company's lucrative new business venture, they power right into the next steps. They may say things like, this is just the beginning. We need to expand and push harder. We need to keep the ball rolling. We've got to seize the momentum. It can inadvertently cause the people around them to initially be on board, but then get exhausted and burn out over time. When someone who's crumbling foundation emotion is feeling proud, is in a position of leadership, they may minimize their own and others' accomplishments. They might even pick apart and criticize instead of lifting them up. They might say things like, I'm glad we got the deal, but you almost lost it when you, and then proceed to list out all the things that didn't go perfectly. This kind of thinking and communication is common among perfectionists. And when they are in positions of leadership, they can create a culture of focusing and picking on all the flaws and issues it can easily lead teams to come to the realization that nothing they do will ever be enough, and their motivation can also tank. As you do the exercise I outlined above, you might be thinking of some of your own reactions, thoughts, and taking stock of what you want to experience less or more of. While you can't just change your emotions or your emotion system, there are things that you can do about it. One is that you can work on slowing down, taking the time to identify your emotions and think about how they're predicting and pushing you to take action. For example, ask yourself what your stress, your frustration, your worry, or your anger is anticipating. Ask yourself what your stress, frustration, worry, or anger wants to address or change in order to meet your goals or needs. Ask yourself how you can pick apart the issue, find a strategy, and take steps to address and still meet your goals and needs. The next time you find yourself worrying, whether you're about to take a step into the crosswalk or expanding your business, recognize that your emotion system, your worry, 
is working hard to help you anticipate and reach your goals and dreams. It doesn't hurt to recruit help in becoming more aware of your own and your team's emotions. In fact, it can be tremendously helpful to learn and become more adept at breaking down tough reactions, understanding how they're trying to help by anticipating and finding ways to get or stay on track. To recap, our emotion systems have multiple layers of prediction. The first is that emotions use past experience to guide, motivate, and get you to do what you need. The second is that when there's disruption, your emotion system uses your past experiences of disruption to anticipate, direct, and push you to make adjustments to try to still meet your needs and goals. The third is that every time you respond to your emotion system, it evaluates the results and will ramp up to push harder or soften and redirect you for the next time if your goals and needs were not effectively met. All three of those lend themselves to the following understanding of your emotion system. As a system, our emotions learn from prior experience and through that prior experience show up in a way that's designed to provide data, direction, and drive to push us to achieve a better outcome and meet our needs and goals. We can't trick it or get around it. That's the very thing it's tasked with doing as a system. Unfortunately, most of us have little or no awareness of the way it operates or how to harness its incredibly adaptive power. The good news is that you are learning just that. And on that note, I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today on The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more people like you the ability to learn and grow. You can also click the share button to share today's episode directly with someone you know who would enjoy it. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast artwork is made by Sam Barkadari, show notes by Yishai Barkadari, and music by www.purple-planet.com. The advice and opinions of the host and guests are our own. I'm a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with either the guest or the listener. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, our thoughts and reactions affect our actions. By listening, we can learn from the challenges others face and the choices they make so that we can make better decisions and get better results. 